There is a great difference between comprehending the knowledge of things and tasting the hidden life of them. Chapter 2, Section A, Making Use of Scripture Our heritage as friends connects us with the Bible. The first friends found that the Scriptures, the name friends have traditionally used for the Bible, confirmed the faith they experienced, and they drew extensively upon the Scriptures to communicate their own convictions. For many friends today, the Bible continues to be a source of instruction, inspiration, and words with which to give their own testimony. The Scriptures present a record of the timeless complexities of the human interaction with God, while their spiritual quality opens opportunities for deeper prayer and fuller awareness of God's purposes. We can make use of what has been recorded in the Scriptures, bringing ourselves closer to a spiritually satisfying relationship with God. The Scriptures are one way through which God has made His truth available to men and women. However, the Bible gives nothing spiritually special to the reader or hearer who is not touched by the Spirit of God while considering its words. Human beings need the Word of God, that is Christ who speaks within us, to comprehend the spiritual truths portrayed in the Bible. George Fox sums up how God's power affects the understanding of the Scriptures when he says, quote, When a man comes through by the Spirit and power of God the Christ and is led by the Holy Ghost into the truth and substance of the Scriptures, sitting down in him who is author and end of them, then they are read and understood with profit and great delight. Unquote. When we allow Christ, the Word of God, to eliminate what we read in the Scriptures, we often find them immediately relevant to our own situation. Reading a Scripture passage can be comforting, inspiring, or sometimes very revealing when the words bring home to us our own shortcomings. As it says in the Bible itself, in 2 Timothy third chapter, 16th verse, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible can be a personal teaching tool, illustrating, correcting, and nurturing our inward spiritual life. At the same time, the scriptures trace Judeo-Christian religious history, the grand panorama of salvation history from Adam to Christ parallels personal spiritual development. In the first part of the Old Testament, the Adam to Moses stage, we see both what happened to the Israelites when they turned away from God and the blessings that followed when they returned to God's ways. Likewise, coming under God's law is a necessary early step in our personal spiritual birth. Without a sense of right or wrong of what God would and would not have us do, we are creatures of chaos. The biblical chapters detailing the law provide a frame of reference by which we can measure our conduct. We need to know what we must do to be right with God and to acknowledge our own powerlessness to accomplish that by ourselves. In reading about Adam, Eve, Miriam, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, and the many others through the time of Moses and the wandering Israelites, we can often see ourselves in our present-day religious communities. We can use the Old Testament lessons to detect what is hindering our relationship with God and to acknowledge our own failures. The confession of failure, brokenness, poverty, and helplessness 
is the point at which we are truly open to the power of God. It is a moment of hope. If we allow ourselves to be convicted, to feel the condemnation of our disobedience, our sin, God will move us forward to the second stage of salvation. We begin to realize that we can seek God's help in overcoming our failures. After chronicling the wandering Israelites and their eventual settlement in the Promised Land, the scriptures continue their historical narrative with an account of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and many others. The prophets' words and actions witness to God's active presence in the world. They call us to become God's people walking in his right and wise way. George Fox defines well the internal experience that characterizes this second stage of Judeo-Christian history and of personal spiritual development when he states, quote, All must first know the voice crying in the wilderness in their own hearts, which through transgression becomes as a wilderness, unquote. However, to know that voice in the wilderness, we must begin living in the same divine spirit that John the Baptist was in and heed the burning, shining light which is sent from God. It is that spirit which will prepare the way of the Lord in us by making our crooked ways straight and our rough ways smooth. As it says in the third chapter of Luke, and all mankind will see God's salvation. The prophets section of the Old Testament is outspoken in its condemnation of transgression but it also foreshadows the message of love and hope through Christ found in the New Testament. Isaiah and other prophets, including John the Baptist, whose story is actually found in the New Testament, had been taught only the Jewish law and the writings of earlier prophets, but God gave them words to point us to Christ. Jesus himself declares continually from the law through to the prophets to his own work when he said, quote, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Unquote. Not only will he not change the law, he condemns anyone who breaks the least of these commandments or teaches others to do so. Jesus goes one important step further. In the Sermon on the Mount, he moves our attention from external observation of the law to its internalization. The law, for instance, tells us we must not kill, but Christ moves inside to the root of killing and tells us our very anger is up for judgment. God cares about both our inward selves and our outward actions. The New Testament not only provides an expansion of the activities for which we are accountable to God, it also sets forth a new conception of our relationship to God. It tells of one like unto Moses, but greater than Moses, as it says in the first chapter of John, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The New Testament urges us into a closer obedience to God, and at the same time promises us the riches of God's peace, joy, and love if we follow Christ's commandments. There is no doubt that George Fox and other first-generation friends were immersed in the Scriptures so much so that they knew large portions of it by memory and drew regularly on scriptures for both guidance and preaching. Wilmer Cooper writes that George Fox and other friends were not only familiar with the Bible, but took it seriously as a religious guide for their lives. 
Canaby Jones notes in his introduction to Fox's pastoral letters that George Fox knew the Bible so well, the vast majority of things he expressed were in the language and style of scriptures. The number of allusions to scripture and the paraphrases of it is enormous. According to Dean Friday, early friends expected those allusions to have a mnemonic effect and not only bring to mind the full text of the scripture passage, but to bring a whole range of associations into the consciousness of their hearers. George Keith, a 17th century associate of Robert Barclay's, wrote, We have a twofold evidence, which no heretic can justly lay claim to. The one is the inward evidence of the Spirit of God. The other is the testimony of the Scriptures, which I affirm in the name of the people called Quakers is the best external and outward evidence and rule that can be given. Early friends were familiar with the Bible and used it extensively. The Bible records centuries of God's work with people, including the responses of countless men and women to each other and to the prompting of God. Some biblical history, like some secular history, involves war and other atrocities that we would prefer not to claim and which we desire not to repeat. However, our moral objection to these events does not negate their occurrence, nor does it relieve us of the obligation to acknowledge that thread in the tapestry of our religious background. This illustrates Christ's work in coming to transform the faith into one based on love. In addition to tracing a connection to our religious heritage, the scriptures offer many examples of individual people reacting with various emotions in interpersonal situations with which we can identify. Joseph's brothers were jealous of their father's attention to him. They plotted to get rid of Joseph. David looked with sexual desire at the attractive wife of another man. Zacchaeus was curious about a man attracting a lot of attention in town. This man turned out to be Jesus. The Good Samaritan reacted with loving care for an injured stranger. In each of these cases, and in many other stories, the Bible suggests a lesson about what happens when people act on their feelings in certain ways. Although the progression of history makes the details of some biblical settings unfamiliar to many friends, human similarities prevail enough for most of us to apply these lessons to ourselves today. Letting jealousy or sexual desire be our primary motivation is likely to get us into trouble. Acting on curiosity can lead to unexpected experiences. Loving the unloved may not bring immediate reward and may even cost us something, but we uphold loving care as commendable. The scriptures also present episodes in which people reacted to an impersonal situation or to a leading from God. In Luke chapter 15, verses 8 to 9, a woman was joyful when she found something special she thought she had lost. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 to 22, another woman was hopeful that touching Jesus' clothes would stop her bleeding. In Acts chapter 10, verses 6 to 16, Peter leaned on intellectual analysis to refute a leading from God. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 18, and Aeneas questioned God briefly, but he soon found trust and went where he had been sent. We can relate to these episodes with hope and joy. Identifying with Peter and Aeneas can help us be obedient to the leadings we were given. 
By exploring these incidents and many others in the Bible, we can find pieces of truth that connect our own experience and encourage us to walk more closely with God. The first chapter of this book explains that the scriptures provide a check for what appears to be a leading from God and a way of testing conflicting religious views. As Robert Barclay explains in his apology, quote, Since the scriptures are universally regarded as written by the dictates of the Holy Spirit, and the errors which have crept in are not bad enough to obscure their clear testimony to the essentials of the Christian faith, we consider them the only proper outward judge of controversies among Christians. Whatever doctrine is contrary to their testimony may be properly rejected as false. The motions of the Spirit can never contradict one another, although they sometimes appear to do so in the blind eyes of the natural person, just as Paul and James at first seemed to contradict one another. End quote. Barclay also saw the scriptures as a useful spiritual mirror. He wrote, quote, In the scriptures, God has deemed it proper to give us a looking glass by which we can see the conditions and experiences of ancient believers. There we find that our experience is analogous to theirs. We may thus become more confirmed and conformed and strengthened in our hope of obtaining the same end. This is the great work of the scriptures and their usefulness to us. They find a respondent spark in us, and in that way, we discern the stamp of God's ways and his spirit upon them. We know this from the inward acquaintance we have with the same spirit and with his work in our hearts. End quote. Those who live in the same spirit as the prophets and the apostles appreciate scripture. George Fox explained his own experience. Quote, I had no slight esteem of the Holy Scriptures, but they were very precious to me, for I was in that spirit by which they were given forth, and what the Lord opened in me, I afterwards found was agreeable to them. Unquote. Indeed, the Scriptures contain the words of God, and therefore are very precious to us. But even more precious is the Word of God, Jesus Christ our Lord and teacher who opens the Bible to us. There is a great difference between comprehending the knowledge of things and tasting the hidden life of them. I fed on the sweetness of the former before finding the true manna of the latter. This podcast has presented a portion of the book Traditional Quaker Christianity. The book was assembled and edited by Terry Wallace, Jack and Susan Smith, and Arthur Burke. It was read by Chip Thomas and the audio edited by the same. The music was provided by Paulette Meyer. Paulette's music is available at paulettemeyer.com.